You're listening to the Reversing Climate Change Podcast by Nori, the world's first carbon removal marketplace. Here are your hosts, Ross Kenyon and Christoph Jospay. Hello, you're listening to the Reversing Climate Change Podcast with Nori. I'm Ross Kenyon. We have a special episode where it's internal to the team. I'm here with Christoph and Paul. We're going to catch you up on what we've been doing lately with Nori, but also take you back to the beginning, do a quasi rerun of that first episode and explain in the briefest way possible what Nori is, what we're doing, who we are and why we're doing it. And we'll take you through all the way to where we are now. And we're going to try to do this in a relatively brief fashion. So if you've never heard anything from us, this is a very good place to start. So uh, why are we doing this? Is, is that That's the first one I have written down. I mean, you have to start with the why, and the why is to reverse climate change. There's too much carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. The only way to stop climate change is to make sure that there aren't too many greenhouse gases staying up there. And in order for that to happen, it needs to be as easy as possible to pay to remove it. So we're building a market mechanism to make that as easy as possible. That was beautiful. It's succinct. And I think I feel comfortable moving to the next one. So Paul, give us about five minutes. Are we going to do a lightning round? I almost said the word lightning round. <laughs> I said that phrase. I almost did that. Yeah. Give us, uh, how does Nori work? Walk us through the entire process. Okay. So the idea is that there are a lot of different ways of removing carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. You can sequester it in soil by changing farming practices. You could plant trees. You could grow kelp. You could do direct air capture using industrial machinery. You could take that carbon dioxide. You could store it in the form of plastics or shoes or carpets or other products. You could also store it in geologic rock formations and have the carbon dioxide turn into rock. So there are lots of different ways that we know how to do this already, but it's not really happening on any sort of large scale yet. And that's a problem of financing and incentives. And so we see our role as to help facilitate that process. We also know that there are plenty of potential buyers out there who are interested in offsetting their carbon emissions, whether they are a large, say, Fortune 500 company or an organization, a utility, a nonprofit, even individuals. So there are lots of potential people who would be interested in paying for removing this carbon dioxide. And there are lots of potential ways to remove the carbon dioxide. So what's the problem? Why isn't this happening right now? Well, one of the problems is that that's a really difficult issue to make really plain and clear to all the parties participating. Kind of the main issue with carbon dioxide is that you can't see it. It's not something that we as humans are, are really aware of. And Nori sees dealing with carbon dioxide as a garbage problem. And if you were to just start throwing your garbage out on the street, people would get really mad at you. And right now, that's what we're doing with our carbon dioxide. So we want to make that whole process more visible, more clear for people to do. So our role is to help bring these different parties together and facilitate these transactions. If a remover, a supplier, removes carbon dioxide, we need to be able to measure that and verify that and be able to prove to a potential buyer that the carbon dioxide that they're paying for removing actually was removed and is staying out of the atmosphere. That's our role as Nori to provide this marketplace. So we have buyers who would be buying what we're calling carbon removal credits, CRCs. 
these credits are equivalent to each credit is one ton of CO2 removed. And the buyers are using a cryptocurrency that we'll create called the Nori token. So one token purchases one CRC and that price is always the same. And the CRC is on the blockchain and it's, it's verifiable. People it can't be changed sometime in the future. Yeah, exactly. That's the provability part of this. So we'll be working with not only the buyers and suppliers, but also another group called verifiers, who are the people who actually go on site when necessary or verify data that's coming in from these potential suppliers and audit them essentially so that we can know that what happened is in that data and that data gets entered into the blockchain. Once it's in the blockchain, it's immutable. We know that it's true. We can trust it. The verifiers are making sure that the carbon was actually removed. The carbon dioxide is out of the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we're bringing these things together so that the buyers can pay the suppliers and the suppliers can get paid. And we're getting rid of relative to the existing carbon markets. We're getting rid of all sorts of inefficiencies and unnecessary middlemen and removing a lot of the existing startup costs that prevent new carbon offset projects from getting underway. And there's a cryptocurrency involved, too. There's a new token. Yeah. So I mentioned the token. I'm playing so dumb right now. (laughs) Just (laughs) just setting you up. (laughs) So there's a token that I mentioned the nori token that where each token purchases one crc one ton and that token gets immediately transferred to the supplier of that particular carbon removal credit and when those carbon removal credits come in to the market for sale they go into a first in first out queue so whoever provides the first carbon removal credit that's the first one that gets sold to the buyers the buyers are using these tokens and the tokens, since they're always one-to-one in terms of price of token for CRC, what matters then is the price of the token in the cryptocurrency exchange markets. And that means that the token is now representing for the first time a universal price on carbon removal. In the current carbon markets, this is a totally different thing because you could be buying offset credits from a project developer who's selling them for $40 a ton, for $20 a ton, for $2 a ton. We've seen all sorts of prices like this. And in our case, because we're separating out the token and the CRC, we're saying that these different methods of removing carbon dioxide have to compete with each other on costs. So over time, in aggregate, we'll start to see potentially new ways of removing carbon dioxide that don't even exist right now that have found with a profit motive, have found ways to reduce their overall costs and increase their profit margins and incentivize them just like all other commercial markets work. And so there is now a universal price on carbon removal, which has never existed before. Yeah, that's right. Okay. That's the goal. That's the goal. It's very important information to have. You have to have a price on that sort of thing. Christoph, what other problems do you see with the conventional approach to solving climate change? How are we addressing it, you could say? Well, not to sound redundant, but as Paul mentioned, carbon offsets are selling for different prices. And by having a universal price, we get around that issue. But also what happens when our token gets used, the CRC is immediately retired. So the actual attribute that tracks an environmental action can only happen once. Another advantage, and actually that's a really big deal because that gets rid of all of the double counting issues that currently exist. And overcomes one of the main barriers to this market, which is people don't actually trust that things are happening. We're able to develop CRCs in such a way that you can see it. It's accessible through something called the internet. (laughs) 
<laughs> I've heard of that. Is that the one with email? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. I think it's like a Christopher Guest movie reference. I forget what that's from. I think we're a software company. That's why Paul scoffed a little bit. Uh. Well, anyway, so it is trustable and you can see that. I think one of the other issues that we also overcome is when suppliers want to create a new way to get paid, they have to go through a very cumbersome process to create a methodology. And those costs, sometimes when you add it all up, can range all the way up from fifty dollars to $300,000. These don't need to be so complicated. Another difference as a software company, so I we, think we're pointing out that those sort of costs wouldn't exist with Nori. Yeah, we we think that's ridiculous. We want to reverse climate change, so people who can remove carbon, we want to make their lives easier and make the way that they measure that carbon being removed make it so that it improves over time. How are we going to do that? One fundamental difference is we're not going to treat methodologies like intellectual property. We're going to create everything out in the open, where it's open sourced and it's built in a way. Are they all proprietary now? Yeah, if you see the steam coming out of my eyes, like yeah, it bothers me. It's it's like, look, you can treat something, and I don't want to denigrate that people put a lot of hard work and want to get compensated for their work. But really, what matters is the execution of a thing and the ability of that thing to get better over time. I guess you could say that feeds pretty well into the philosophy of Nori. I mean, as a software company, we we tend to value the open source ethos that uh, the, the entire blockchain community basically revolves around. What else would you say are some key philosophical beliefs of Nori? Or how do we approach environmentalism and solving climate change? I like to think that it's possible for us to build a world where we can have our cake and eat it too. Traditionally, the narrative is sort of framed that in order to solve climate change, we're going to have to drastically cut back the amount of energy we use worldwide, which means cutting back quality of living in both first world and third world countries. It means preventing third world countries from advancing to the sorts of luxuries that we're used to in the first world. That just seems really unfair and wrong to do. And no one's willing to do that. And if if they were willing to do that, we wouldn't be in this position because governments would have taken action decades ago to curtail this and they haven't. But we believe that it's possible that if you start treating this like a garbage problem where you pay for removing your carbon dioxide, we have a lot of excess CO2 to remove as well as whatever future emissions come out. But we believe that it's possible to develop a uh, robust ecosystem of carbon removal that enables the sort of energy usage that we're used to and the quality of life that we're used to. Innovation trumps any of the potential problems there. And what that really means, and to go back to philosophy, we're treating the root cause of the problem. There's too much CO2 in the atmosphere. There are ways to not emit that CO2, not put your garbage out into the street. And by creating that mechanism where you need to pay to remove that garbage, well, maybe you'd rather not put that garbage out in the street. Functionally, that means putting renewable sources or carbon-free sources of energy out there onto the grid. Or if you want to put less garbage into the street, reduce your emissions. We're not picking any favorites. We're saying we need to remove already about 750 billion tons of carbon dioxide to get back to safe levels. And on top of that, we need to slow down and stop and then negate the approximately 40 billion tons of CO2 we're adding each year. And that's why this all comes back to putting a price on this. Like economists have been talking about this for decades, that we need a price on carbon dioxide. Because if you can put a price on it, then all these things that we're talking about in the ways like I can't stand here and say that I, as some sort of central planner, know exactly how this market is going to play out and how the different removers of carbon dioxide will function and which ones will be successful and which ones 
as well. Like that's ridiculous. We have no idea. But if we can set the stage to allow that sort of activity to occur in a trustful way so that all parties can trust what's going on and ensure that what they're doing with their money is what they intended to do, then we believe that all sorts of wonderful and amazing things can happen from that. Yeah, if you can leverage the power of markets to, uh, God, this is the most common thing I ever say, appeal to people's selfish desires, and it leads to pro-social outcomes. You just put that on a t-shirt if we ever make it. That's just like my most, I think every single podcast episode it comes up. But yeah, if you can use prices and get markets to have people act in a way that is socially beneficial, that's the dream ticket. I feel like the right would like that. It doesn't involve the government necessarily centrally planning everything. The left should like it because it gets to their ends, and it seems like everyone's better off, and it's less controversial or everyone hates it (laughs) it's one of the two it's one of the one of the two okay guys where does nori come from how did we all get here now well for me this started about three years ago i was running a small business that wasn't going anywhere and it wasn't really contributing a whole lot to the world and sort of like the smallest violin just just start (laughs) going and i wanted to work on something more important And I had also been turned on to the idea of starting with why Christoph mentioned that at the beginning that comes from Simon Sinek, my all time favorite Ted talk, Simon Sinek talking about the importance of starting whatever you're doing with the why behind it, the purpose behind it. And I uh, started looking into climate change as an area of focus. And I'm an engineer by training. And so I think about problems in terms of how do we solve them and fix things rather than just make them less bad, which is how I kind of perceived a lot of the noble and important efforts that people are doing. So I started thinking, okay, well, we've put all this CO2 up in the air. Can we just pull that back out? Would that make a difference? And I didn't even know the term carbon removal at the time, but I was really interested in this and I wanted to learn more and I needed I need to do that with other people. So I started a meetup group in Seattle called Carbon Removal Seattle. And it was a way of planting a flag and saying, I want to work on this. And if you do too, come join me and let's like learn how to do this together. And maybe hopefully we'll find a way to like inspire or spin out businesses that are doing carbon removal or something. And so it's like the early germ of how to like build a, a market of activity that's doing this sort of thing that can really scale. While I was doing that, I found out that there was a research center at Arizona State University, which is my alma mater. And And mine too. And yours too. And uh, one of our other co-founders, Jason's, called the Center for Negative Carbon Emissions. And I was like, okay, well, that's pretty much exactly what I'm looking for. And it's great that it's at a place I'm so familiar with. So I uh, reached out to them on Twitter. And um, to be honest, this is the only time that Twitter has been useful for me professionally. And I, I tweeted at them and said I was an alum and I was interested in doing this. And was there anyone there I could talk to? And Christoph replied to my direct message like right away and said, yes, are you available to get on a Skype call right now? <laughs> and so we did. And we sure played a little harder to get. <laughs> I gave him all other options, but I was free. And then I had to be somewhere in like two hours and it was clear that it was going to be a fun conversation. <laughs> I told Christoph about what I've been up to. And then he started telling me about what the Center for Negative Carbon Emissions was and what they did. And we discussed these ideas. Christoph was in New York at the time and So I think everything, I don't want to take words out of your mouth, but I think everything you were saying was like kind of through a financial lens. And yeah, I had just finished the book, The Big Short, and I was thinking about, well, it's clear that there is a major bubble going on as it relates to solving climate change. What if we could build an instrument that could effectively short um, the way that we go about solving it? 
feel like that would be controversial among the listeners of the podcast or maybe not i don't know well i mean shorting the the carbon markets it turns well, out that's a, i mean that's what we're doing <laughs> if you really think about it uh christoph used that term we were in peak carbon on that call initially and that like always stuck with me like yeah we, we we're, we're in this uh by peak carbon meaning like we all freely emit carbon dioxide and no one's getting charged for it. Like we're all dumping our trash on the street. And so that's like the peak carbon and like there's going to be a reckoning coming, whether that's in the form of like government taxes or cap and trade schemes or, or something. There's going to be something that changes about this. And so how can we figure out how to spur that along and like make a business out of that? And it was clear from when we spoke I like this guy. Let's do something together. We decided to start something called the Carbon Removal Society. Um, it was an online group. It grew. It sort of was a learning group and a virtual group because I wasn't in Seattle. Paul wasn't in New York. And I knew that there was a community out there of people who wanted to talk about this and wanted a hand in building it. I think we got about like 50 to 75 people or so to join that. These were people who were researchers, academics, some people like us who were just kind of interested in it from around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so but it was fa- pretty much just you and me posting <laughs> things in there right and so we had to meet in person fast forward to september 2015 i was organizing a conference called closing the carbon cycle in phoenix uh, for the center for negative carbon emissions at that point i had already started my first company as a consultancy and actually my former employer was my first client is it carbon a list? Is that what this is? Yeah, carbon a list. Carbonalist. Oh, yeah, yeah. We also say we call each other carbonalist. Yeah, uh, yeah. Ross, it all, it all runs together in the URL. Indeed, yeah. it, it it runs so well. And <laughs> and you are becoming a carbonalist. I'm a, a junior carbonalist. Yeah. apprentice. Car- it, indeed. Yeah. And. We hung out. That's when I first met Paul in person. He showed me an app that he was working on. Anyone can actually find this app if they search in the app store Fish Tour. It's a sticker app. It's really cool. We both like the band Fish. I'd like to let it be publicly known. That was after the conference ended. We had went out for beers afterwards and we were talking about that. And I was like, I'm always sort of nervous to bring up Fish to other people. Um, As as you should be. (laughs) It's a a mild obsession and uh, you never know how people are going to react to it. But Paul too does not like it. (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I'm trying. I'm, I'm trying to teach him. <laughs> it's not gonna work. <laughs> It'll never work. Paul too is one of our other co-founders. There are two Pauls, and that was the first. Like, all right, I I can definitely get along with Kristoff. Like that. That's a. It's a, just a good signal. Like if, if we both like fish, I think we can both like get along really well, and that's a good sign for a, a future business partnership. So we're talking about an origin. So let's move it along. In February. Paul and Jason competed in a hackathon called Carbon Harvest. Jason's our chief blockchain dev. Yes. Yeah. Lead blockchain dev. His title is principal blockchain architect. In, oh, that's way better. In February last year, it was actually on Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, so I, I totally missed that amazing comeback by the Patriots because I left at halftime. I'm like, this game is boring. And I went to this meetup, which I was really excited about. And it was hosted by IPFS, the Interplanetary File System, and MetaMask, um, which is a web 3.0 tool for the Ethereum blockchain. I was super excited to meet some of the developers who've been working on Ethereum. I was really obsessed with Ethereum at the time. On February too, you're still like one of the cool kids who like, I think March was the time when yeah, it was yeah, no yeah. longer. Yeah, this is before crypto really. It's like the last month of quasi underground mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, exactly. And they were hosting this week-long hackathon about like using IPFS and MetaMask together. And I was trying to get Jason interested in Ethereum at the time. And so he was in Phoenix and watching the live stream of the talks that were going on at this meetup. And then eventually after a couple of days, 
days, we decided that we wanted to compete in this hackathon. It was a week-long competition. And I had been thinking about, well, what if we could potentially make a cryptocurrency, a token that would just pay farmers to sequester CO2 in their soil? And so Jason started building a, a, a very, very early prototype of this. And we called it Carbon Harvest, as Christoph mentioned. We didn't actually finish because we started late in the competition. So we didn't win and there weren't that many entries. But it was a really good like early start. We got a good reception from a lot of the hosts of the meetup. They were really interested in the idea. And so we just kind of kept that on the back burner. A few months later in the summer, Christoph was nice enough to call me to wish me a happy birthday in June last year. This guy's a networker. Yeah, that's what he does. I had ulterior motives. Yeah. <laughs> and it turned out that I was leaving my job at a creative agency where I'd been a project manager for a number of years. And I didn't have hard concrete plans. And I, I told him that. And he told me about how he was really focusing on carbon A-list and, and trying to grow that and really like go the entrepreneurial route. And we talked more and thought, well, why don't we try to actually like do something about this? We've been talking about this for a long time. And Christoph suggested that he should come out to Seattle in August for a couple of weeks and we could trial it, see how well we work together, see like what sort of concepts we come up with and if it'd be possible to actually do this sort of thing. And it's not like this idea is all that novel. I mean, many people have thought, well, the carbon market is perfect for cryptocurrency. So it was abundantly clear that, okay, we have something. And then when we got into it, yeah, it really clicked. We spent two weeks together and things happened really quickly, yeah. like insanely quickly. Everything kind of just fell together. And then at the end of it, something came across our plate, which was a hackathon, essentially a month-long business planning competition put together by Consensus. Consensus are basically the granddaddies of the Ethereum network. And yeah, they're like the premier for-profit company consults on the, stuff. They're, they're like a venture studio for all sorts of different Ethereum blockchain application companies. They also were the main drivers behind the founding of the Enterprise Ethereum Alliance. They do a lot of enterprise consulting. Like if you're involved at all in the Ethereum blockchain space, like you're probably in some way affected by what consensus is doing. I read the other day they're the largest blockchain company in the world. Oh, yeah, they're huge now. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so there is the Blockchain for Social Impact Hackathon, and we decided to pull a team together. That was happening in September last year. And it, it seemed like it was just really fortuitous timing. Like these were sorts of activity, like doing research and writing up like initial drafts of a paper and doing some early designs of the concept. Like these are all things we had to do anyway. And we knew people who wanted to work on this with us. And this just seemed like a really good low commitment sort of thing. It was a month long. Like if at the end of it, we decided that we didn't like the idea or there are certain people we didn't like working with, we weren't committed to anything. And so we just dove headfirst into that. Yeah, we ended up winning in the energy and environment category. And I think that kind of lit another match. And I had already decided I was moving to Seattle and doing this irrespective of winning. And so I was there for the fourth week. It was really cool. You came up, Ross. Jason was there as well. Yeah, and we ended up having, so we had a seven-person team for this hackathon, and we ended up having uh, two members of that team decide that they didn't want to go on. And then we added two additional people who were amazing fits for our founding team, and we like, just kept going and founded a company and have been working ever since. So we've been working on getting this going from the ground floor. So that's on the technical side, starting to architect out how is this application going to work? What is the blockchain design? How are we thinking about the token design? 
On the other side, it's how do we do business development for this? We're going to have to get a lot of potential buyers and we're going to have to get a lot of suppliers into this. How do we bring all these people together and help them understand like what makes us different from the existing carbon markets? Why should they participate with us? Why should they use cryptocurrencies and blockchains and all these crazy newfangled technologies? What does that provide for them? And what's our strategy for communicating that? So we've been working on all these fronts because we have a really diverse and talented team of people. One of the big events that's coming up for us is at the end of April, April 26th and 27th, we're uh, hosting a summit in Seattle where we've invited a number of people to come meet with us. These are suppliers and buyers and verifiers, researchers, academics, people we throw into what we call the carbon removal Illuminati, who are just kind of in the space and helping to propel this along. And we want to demonstrate the prototype that we've been working on from a software perspective. We want to get their feedback on the methodology designs that we've been doing. We want to be able to adapt what it is that we're building to really meet their needs as much as possible. So we're all really, really looking forward to that opportunity to interact with so many different people in in that way. Okay. And then there's plans to launch. I know that we want to launch the platform simultaneously with the token and that should happen sometime this year. Yeah. We want to do this in 2018. We want to get this going as soon as possible because we need to start removing carbon dioxide as soon as possible. TikTok. TikTok. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we're working on doing that. We're starting to expand our team to hire a UX designer and some software engineers uh, to add to our team potentially soon. So we're pretty serious about getting things going so that we can launch an MVP where people will be able to buy real carbon removal credits with the token sometime in 2018. We'll hopefully be able to get more concrete about our estimates as we get closer to that. Just to give a sense under the hood, some of the really important things to get right. One are, what are the economics of how all this is going to work? We're extremely fortunate to work with someone who is building an agent-based simulator, looking at the supply and demand side for carbon removal, and also understanding how this will function in the cryptocurrency markets. Yeah, Christoph brings up a really important point, which is... One of our advisors, Dr. Klaus Lackner, has has brought this up with us quite a bit. There's an issue that if the token is worth one ton of CO2, then the monetary supply and the economics of that are really, really important because if we make too many tokens and issue them, then the price will be too low. And if we don't make enough tokens, then the price will be too high. And then we could accidentally affect the market. Like it wouldn't be able to reach any sort of market equilibrium because all the other characteristics of it would be out of whack. So like Christoph mentioned, we've been working with an economist, Kyle Burchard, to help us simulate that and think about it so that we can come up with what is our best approach to this? What sort of levers do we build into the monetary supply to help that stabilize over time? Working on monetary economics is super important for pretty much any sort of like token economic situation. And then we're also working pretty hard on making sure that the game theory and procedures regarding verifiers are secure because there's a huge incentive to cheat, right? If you can say you remove like 100,000 tons of carbon and get paid, like someone's going to try and do that. How do you prevent that? Right, exactly. And so to sort of answer that question, it's you have to verify the verifiers. You have some amount of random auditing that happens of them. And that there's a lot of academic research into this. And there's some sort of threshold value over which if you audit enough, then that disincentivizes people from cheating enough that it, it shouldn't happen. 
Right. So there's that. And then one thing I work on quite often with Christoph and Alden and Alessandra is the business development side of the team, making sure that there's people who know about us. We do a lot of communications work. I'm working on an ebook. Christoph and I co-host the podcast. You guys are working on the white paper right now too. The white paper too. So we're trying to have that done here around the time of Reversa Palooza. So in April, we're hoping to have a white paper that's ready for, if not fully public consumption, then nearly public Initial review. Yeah. So it should be maybe in May around then we might see a white paper get released by us finally. We have one that's already done from the hackathon, but it needs to be updated. Yeah, significantly. What else do we have going on? I have a lot of the developers are working quite hard and actually making the platform. Yeah, they've been doing a lot of work up to this point, uh, the blockchain backend side of things and coming up with the designs for the tokens. Like at this point, they have a very basic prototype that allows you to spend Nori tokens for CRCs and have the coin transfer ownership. That's about as far as they've gotten. We haven't done a whole lot yet on the front end side. That's where like hiring a UX designer comes in to play. So we can start to think about what is this experience like from a buyer's perspective, from a supplier's perspective, from a verifier's perspective, and how do we make this as simple as possible for them to do? Because we want to get out of the way of like the transactions that are oh happening. God. The front end on, on most cryptocurrency and blockchain projects is pretty challenging like if you had to explain to someone who had no experience it would take you a while yeah and building decentralized applications is very different from building like a client server application it's very new too right yeah it is there aren't many like best practices established yet it's not like you can't just uh, have someone send cryptocurrency to an address and then have them wait the 15 to 45 seconds or longer that it takes for that transaction to confirm we need to be able to communicate that we can't just have like an activity spinner that's like waiting for that transaction uh, to go with That's, money on the line too yeah makes yeah. people mad right so these are all sorts of new and interesting problems that we have to think about and the design of the user experience is super critical to that so we're putting a big emphasis on it so there's one more thing i want to talk about which is that right now if you go to our website nori.com you can see a very basic landing page you can go to you can see all these podcast episodes in our blog but right now we're working to redesign the website to make it much easier for people to land on it and understand what it is that we're doing we want to include more useful infographics and help describe exactly how this marketplace works and so we're hoping to relaunch our website with this all new design in the coming weeks like very very soon so i'm i'm really excited to be able to show that off so that'll be at nori.com well thanks so much for coming on and catching everyone up this will be the episode that we direct people to if they've never heard anything from nori this is a good introduction good to catch people up on what we're doing if you like what we are doing here please tell your friends share us on social media give us a good rating on your podcast app that would be much appreciated check out nori.com and thanks so much for listening